welcome to the Gauteng Wholesale and Retail Seater Leadership Chairs podcast. Hosted at the University of Johannesburg's Department of Marketing Management, we have conversations with wholesalers, retailers, and industry experts from South Africa and around the world. We also speak with renowned researchers so that we can provide you with information that promotes excellence and advances the retail industry. Welcome to our WNR CETA podcast listeners. I'm Dr. Beate Stiedemilder, the leadership chair for the Hulsa and Retail CETA Gauteng and your host for this episode. In studio with me today are my fabulous team members, Ms. Malazi Matabate and Mr. Sandile Maseko. Hi listeners, I'm Sandile Maseko. Looking forward to today's engagements. Hi, I'm Mashadzi, and I hope we can leave this conversation feeling less intimidated about the fourth industrial revolution. Our guest in studio is Mrs. Deborah Matchett. Deborah is the executive for strategic planning, performance, and reporting at the Hulsa and Retail CETA. She has worked in the education and training development sector for the past 30 years. Uh, she's got experience in strategic business management, project management, quality assurance, monitoring and evaluation, business management, and student leadership and research. And she is currently in the process of completing her doctorate in environmental management at the University of South Africa. A warm welcome to you, Deborah. Hi, everybody, and, and uh, thank you for the invite, and uh, lovely to be here. Deborah, let's get into it. Tell us, the we, we're sitting in a rapidly changing landscape. What are the current sector trends and demands in this changing landscape? From a, just a short intro in terms of the perspective and the question is that you're asking is really a kind of, you know, we can look at it from our own perspective and see the changes. And of course, with the, um, the advent of COVID um, has seriously fast tracked the whole issue. I think up until prior to COVID, we were kind of, you know, looking at ways and means and, and um, uh, I think really probably taking a backseat. And then with the, advent of COVID and we've had to change our whole methodology and work with the stakeholders in the and the sector and and really engage with uh, the issue around 4IR extensively. Um, and we've done a couple of pieces of serious uh, research into this and um, consulting with uh, our stakeholders, which would be our employers across the sector and looking at the perspective of, of the, you know, the changes that they're encountering to be able to see how we need to move with the trends and this wave of, of new technology and various aspects that are coming into the sector, particularly around e-commerce and, um, and e-business. Okay, so lots of changes in terms of e-commerce and e-business. What in particular would you say with regard to e-commerce and e-business stands out in terms of changes that you've seen? So when we engage with employers, and certainly from my perspective with my team, is to try and ascertain where those changes are. And within the digital space, within e-commerce, there's been significant changes across various employers. And we, we can talk about sort of the training component, you know, and how that's changing on us as well. And the way that we look at uh, offerings of uh, particularly within the retail space, our um, occupational programs. But let's just look at the other side of this in the way that stakeholders and employers and, and, and a range of employers as well, from our super lodges right through to the SME sector. 
and some are just changing faster, um, I suppose, because it's backed up by resources. So we are certainly looking at the changes from the way the products are offered in terms of an e-commerce perspective. So, you know, some of the interesting things with the technologies that are changing are around cloud computing, cybersecurity, the e-commerce and the way that products are worked with in an e-business perspective, availability of product online and how that is getting up. And, we have, and, we, and we're watching a couple of amazing success stories, which we can talk about later on with regards to a number of our employers. Um, and then, of course, digitization is affecting everybody from the perspective of how you and I engage with retailers, how we, um, as a consumer, work with the retail sector in, in terms of products, and then, of course, it's challenging the CETA because the whole issue around how we engage with the sector online, um, we spent a lot of time in the last two years, I think. It's been in terms of developing and improving our own ICT base and allowing stakeholders and employers to engage with the CETA in a paperless environment. And then, of course, there's also issues around advanced analytics. We're, as a CETA now, also uh, working with employers in the perspective of our research and our innovation and our business analytics so that we're trying to ascertain and work and be on top of this ever-changing environment within the, the retail and, the, and, and let me include the wholesale as well. Um, but I'm, I think we sway a little bit more towards retail at the moment and trying to, as a sector education and training authority, be at the forefront uh, with employers who are ever-changing um, in terms of the way that they offer business. Okay, interesting. So um, what we basically see is from the retail side, there's changes in the product mix, there's the use of cloud computing, cybersecurity aspects, issues around product availability, um, because everything's now, it's, it's basically affected the the supply chain, the logistics functions, etc. I think what, um, as a CETA who's very much involved in training, I think what is a very important question and I would almost say a concern from my side is we want to know more about the implications of the 4IR on new jobs, basically, on jobs, future jobs and current jobs. Part of our research we've done this year is to actually look at the impact because we all know that times have got to change and we change with times. But obviously, there's going to have an impact on employment and I suppose specifically around the issues of what are are our conventional and current jobs and how are those jobs changing. And we can sit back and and wait for the change to happen or we we can get involved with that change. Now, you know, for example, the impact of automation. So if the sector is moving towards automation at uh, cash-out points, which would have been the old teller scenario, you know, um, exiting a, a supermarket, and if there is a move towards the automation of that through the various technologies that are becoming available, and there, there was a try-and-test case last year didn't work too well, but I know that there, there's a try and test case this this year with one of the retail chains. 
Now, we can either say from a, from a training perspective and from a job loss potential that, oh, well, so tellers are going to become obsolete. Or we can say, hang on, what is the, the, the occupational function of a teller? Yes, it's being automated. But what are the opportunities in taking uh, someone who is in employment and the creation of upskilling opportunities to use the technologies? Um, so, you know, and I, and I think that's part of the, we could, you know, we can become paralyzed by loss of jobs and we know that the sector is susceptible to uh, job losses and job changes. Or we can be proactive and we can start to work with employers across the sector and say, so in an automation world, what are those occupations and those jobs that are going to change? And how do we embark on upskilling and reskilling those particular employees? And then how do we create opportunities for unemployed to enter into the sector in these new worlds of technologies? And, and I mean, that's an exciting space. And that, of course, covers the, the whole of the economy with regards to wholesale and retail. You know, so it's not only the, the big superstores, but within the township economies and within the perspective of the small uh, entrepreneurs, you know, I think that there's great opportunities and our research is showing us that there's great, great opportunities. It's just about a case of how bold the seat is going to be in its delivery. Now, if you if you look at the, the the prospect of job losses and we sit back and we don't amend our occupational qualifications uh, in two spaces, in the 4IR space and in the green economy, well, then you, you kind of also, you know, you, you're taking your hands off the steering wheel almost to say, well, it's not my kind of responsibility. There's always going to be job losses uh, when technologies change. Or we can really embrace this and start to work across our current occupations. And, of course, there are, there are going to be new ones emerging. And, in fact, just this week, uh, we were starting to to engage with other training authorities to say, where's the collaboration so that we can actually prevent the massification of job losses in partnership with other training authorities to bring this reskilling and upskilling, not only of the current employed workforce, but of course, new entrants into the workforce, into the space, which I think is a really exciting space to be in. Okay. All right. So very, very important is upskilling, reskilling, appreciating the fact that new jobs will emerge as well from technology. But what about for our impact on completely unskilled labor? I think our research from that perspective is starting to show that there is great potential for, it's not the unskilled in the traditional sense, but where there is baseline skills that one can build on and grow into this technology, uh, the space of, of um, 4IR and the technologies that, that go alongside it. And if one has to, to look at new service offerings, I think that's where the skills and the opportunities, uh, particularly in the youth sector, come into, this, to, into the retail space a lot and, and, and create opportunities for new skills and then also skills that react to the market and the changing market as well. 
And I think this is part of the debate that we're going to start to enter into as well, is what is the, is what is the um, I suppose, the presence for long-term occupational qualifications in the retail sector that is ever-changing. Lo- I mean, the last 18 months have, have shown us how the sector has responded to two major events, and that, was, that is the pandemic that is ongoing, and then the rioting and disruptions that we had two months ago, and the success stories there. And it's bringing youngsters into that arena because they want to be responsive and they want to be able to, to, to change and move with trends. But if our skills and our skills programs and our occupational qualifications and our, and our long-term programs don't work with the same responsiveness, then quite frankly, in my personal opinion as well, then we're going to see job losses because an unskilled, and I'm saying in inverted commas, person coming into the space I think brings the skills with them. And even if they're not formal skills, it's the informal skills that they've learned through the application and the uses of technology. Another thing that comes to mind for me is, are there any, from an operational perspective, examples that you can provide us with actual skills training that has taken place and what these entailed? Basically, examples of retailers, what kind of technology training have they embarked on we we're curious to see what what does this training look like what does this from an operational perspective look like we have another number of 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 employers let's just look at our big retailers at the moment that responded to the market and the gap uh within the online um, um, um space so ordering online and you know ensuring that product reaches the consumer within a within a very short, short space of time they've gone about their own skills programs that are responded very quickly that are because they they're agile enough to move and provide that either new skills and upskilling and they also work across other sectors in terms of if you think of the whole digital space and the online um, ordering and production and consumer um, uh, requirements, uh, these big retailers respond in terms of, because remember, you can do cross-sectoral programs. And I mean, I know, for example, the mix eater, which is where all the information and technology lies, was about two weeks ago released 11 new programs into the market in response to the market. And it's often in the areas of business analysts, data scientists, as I mentioned earlier on, um, cybersecurity, writing programs, coding, development of, of these digital skills that allows employers to move within that so, so an employer is never really dependent on only waiting for a CETA to respond. A CETA is a, is, is a big piece of machinery to move in, in responding from a formal occupational perspective. So, so employers look at the, the, the whole concept of how and, you know, what their market trends are and will spend a lot of time within an e-learning space in an upskilling space, moving uh, employees 
in that reskilling to be able to respond. And of course, they buy the skills in. So within the digital space, for example, if you look at your 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 supermarkets now, let's take uh, ShopRite, ShopRite checkers and the 60 seconds, uh, 66, I wish it was 60 seconds, <laughs> 60 minutes um, ordering online and the, the economy that is emerging around that. I mean, it's, it's part of the highest growth area in ShopRite checkers at the moment. And it came from a response to the market. So the programs that they would have used would have been the necessary digital um, skills that are required, and they would have acquis- that would have been an acquisition. And then the, the training of employees within those stores to be able to go and use the application and the skills required there, and then to, to attain the product and to get the product out to the consumer within the committed brand timeframe that is, that, is, that is advertised. But let me also just say, though, in the sense of, because we can get very excited about these new trends and employers, the way that they're responding. And I mean, they do their market research. There are a number of employers who have, are still within the, the conventional sense, uh, online learning platform offering employees across the length and breadth of the country um, some very, very interesting and exciting packages about bringing online learning during this time into the room of the employee um, and, and, and spending a lot of time available to the employee so the training doesn't stop and it, and it, and it carries on. And that would be in our, in our conventional learning program space and also in our new learning program um, space, not necessarily ours, but I'm talking across the across the sector. So skills training from a CETA perspective needs to be able to respond to employer needs and work across the sector so that those skills, what we would call skills programs then and, and, and um, credit-bearing programs are in response to employers' needs. But, you know, Vieta, employers also, if you look at their contribution to training of their own employees, we're just talking about in, within the formal sector, move way beyond the CETA scope because they're responding to a market. And if they had to, to only work within the confines of a CETA scope of practice, they would probably not, they would, they would go out of business. And, you know, our challenge is taking that kind of rationale and methodology into the SME sector and into the, the, the space of entrepreneurs and getting entrepreneurs to work uh, within these short programs. And we know that when the, within the ICT space, how quickly programs change because the product is changing in terms of the operating platforms. So we, we're spending a lot of time in the in the SME sector, a lot of time in youth and and um, refocusing some of our programs around people with disabilities, because I think this is a, a huge area where people with disabilities can find a space within the within the retail sector in respect of the technologies and the availabilities and access to these uh, technologies more than before. Um, and then, of course, we're spending a lot of time in um, looking at the township economies and how do we replicate within uh, the space of entrepreneurial development these new skills and skills opportunities um, so that SMEs 
not in competition with that. I mean, we no one lives in a in a in a land of of you know illusions in the in the sense of we we we're not under illusion in the sense of trying to set up um, SMEs in that competitive space, but to allow SMEs their own space within the various kinds of economies to work in partnership with um, various kinds of. Uh, retailers and and also around um, the wholesalers. You know, we, we forget that there's a whole logistics component of um, the host the wholesale space that I think is also prime for the SME sector and the creation of entrepreneurs within that space to uh, find a foothold and um, to create more opportunities through reskilling and upskilling within and using uh, technologies now. As a as a as a tool. Okay, um, Sandile. Yes, um, my conversational question is more or less around um how Fourth IR impacts the small role players within the sector because we have a huge informal sector um within the retail space in our country, and that contributes largely to to the country's GDP and everybody's well well being in the country. So seeing that it's mostly the huge role players that can um, adapt to the times and capacitate their staff within the sector. And obviously it's, it's, it's convenient for the consumer, but how does it impact the small role players? And does it threaten the informal sector that we have in the country? And how, how do we, do we bridge that gap? But I think it's time that, when we look at the the four IR component or this whole scope of digitization, is you know to to work far more closely with the sector, and collaborations and partnerships are I think crucial. It is identifying what that value chain is and seeing where parties fit in that value chain. And how do they service each other? Now, the challenges that we continuously face within the the SME sector is obviously accessibility, and that can be from a from an infrastructural point of view, um, a resource point of view, and resources doesn't necessarily have to be brick and mortar, although that 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 is quite a um, a big chunk of the problem. But also some of the things that we, we forget about in the sense of data and acquisition of data. And I think the more there is collaboration between, um, and let's use an example between the city of Johannesburg and the creation of Wi-Fi and accessibility zones where SMEs in the informal sector are able to take product to market because the consumer is there as well. Um, you know, those kinds of collaborations or collaborations with big data source providers within particular projects and the identification of those projects is part of the route to go as well. So the challenge there is identification of what the support is and how do we grow that part of the economy to become far more self-sufficient, highly skilled, embracing uh, technology and and entrepreneurs and growing entrepreneurs across the value chain as well, not getting locked into or stuck into one particular area in the in the value chain. You know, and earlier on I spoke about e-commerce. Now I mean I think that's 
an amazing opportunity to bring the SMEs into that space. And if you look at the township economies, the Spaza shops still service a broad community within those economies. So, so it's how we elevate and what is our role in elevating um, those particular uh, ways of um, commerce into this e-commerce space and identifying what those skills are. I almost want to call them e-skills so that the entrepreneur is able to get product to market quicker, smarter, uh, responsive, is agile, and, and service the community, um, you know, and there, there are a number of national projects that uh, where this is, this is already happening, where there is creation of innovation hubs and, and, and so on within, within these economies, very much in support of the, of the SME sector. So it's how we engage with other trading authorities, I think, is the solution here, because... If we're all trying to do something and there isn't a coordination and there isn't a collective effort to um, address this, then it's almost going to look like a bit of a, you know, um, a, a cardboard piece of paper with a thousand shot holes in it and everybody's trying to do the same thing. So, so we're in, in current discussions now to, to address the, the issues of identification of, 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 of partnerships what are the roles that people um, within the training authorities play? What are the challenges? What are the threats? And how do we collectively approach this um, and stay within our own uh, specializations, but acknowledge that there's a multitude of specializations we can bring to the sector, particularly in the SME sector, particularly in youth, particularly in women, people with disabilities, and really plough our efforts towards the same goal. And, um, you know, I think that's where WNRCTA is also uh, investing in and, and having these conversations for implementation. And hopefully we can speed this up a bit um, and start to look at implementation in these uh, collaborations, certainly uh, around big projects um, in the creation of jobs uh, in the sense of access, and then obviously, as I've spoken along um, earlier on, around reskilling and upskilling. Thank you so much for that, um, Deborah. That um, basically brings us to the end of our conversation. I think what really stood out for me is that I can gather from what you've shared with us today that there's a lot of research that's been conducted. There's a awareness of the particular problems, but there's still a number of questions as to exactly what should be done to address this because it is such a huge animal. What I have um, done for us, though, is I've made um, a summary of just the the key nuggets that stood out for me from our conversation. And I appreciate a lot that you've shared this uh, with us because there's a lot that we can learn from these conversations and from the research that you've conducted. So firstly, what I found quite interesting is the fact that the opportunity is even more for people with disabilities because they're in a position where they can use technology which could potentially empower them in a way that they weren't empowered before if they were to do um, some sort of manual um, labor. Then it seems to me that the skills programs should be an absolute focus, the upskilling and the reskilling in particular. 
Online learning is growing and there should be more investment in this to help with this upskilling and reskilling. Yes, there's automation, but new jobs are also emerging. How can we empower people where their jobs could potentially be replaced by automation, upskill and reskill them to be able to use the technology so that they can still have a meaningful job and contribute? Buy your skills in where it's needed and diffuse those skills throughout the organization. Training, lots of training should be done in store. Should be, we should be agile. Retailers should be agile in having shorter, quicker training sessions to get things up and going. And that is what I imagine the checkers group, um, basically commenced with when they started the, the checkers, uh, 6060. In terms of the informal sector, it seems that it's incredibly important that we work closer with them to understand their value chain. And I think for me, what stood out in particular is that there's massive opportunity in terms of, of, um, e-commerce. So that was in summary from my side. I don't know if there were any concluding thoughts um, from you, Deborah. I think your summary is is absolutely spot on. And it's certainly where we as a CETA are, are driving and looking at and, and it forms part of our, our research and it forms part of our thinking and it forms part of our, um, our planning. And, and it's an exciting space to be in. And... Um, I think if we if we look at it from that perspective and where it allows us to create, you know, accessibility, and you've mentioned people with disabilities, I think it's is such an amazing space if we can if we can bring this to fruition within the um, the digital space and for IR. I think you're absolutely spot on. For employed, I think it's creation of instead of you know it's changing a mindset instead of responding to the advent of technology and innovation and technology is to start to talk about reskilling and upskilling. And I mean, if you've got a workforce with this amazing amount of skills, why would you not want to reskill and upskill so that you can meet the demands of the, of, of the market? And we're seeing that already. The other space that I think you've captured so well is that e-learning, um, online learning creation um, um, of new learning techniques and opportunities because remember we're a mobile society so we're constantly moving and to sit in the traditional face-to-face scenario you know and and I, I personally think that that is such a small slither now of the way that learning needs to happen um, it'll take a while to 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 move into a space. Not everybody's of the same opinion, but I think the fact that you know, as you highlighted it, it's very much of the new trends, and we're already seeing the big groups, the way that they offer programs, and particularly in the retail space. Because remember, the calendar year for retail is for learning. If it's not happening in store. And you're pulling people offline is very short because of the of of consumer demand over the year in the retail space. You're always having these blocks where, and and <laughs> that's how retailers say to us, you know, from now in fact on, if you haven't heard the jingles already in the store, it's it's about to happen, and you won't see them until February next year because peak time. So, so training doesn't happen, but learning continues. Um, so I think that you know the, the points that you've captured are are really spot on. I think that WRCTA 
embracing these aspects that you've mentioned now within this new uh, space of 4IR and innovation and technologies. And the research that's coming to the fore is, is, is quite profound. We have it on our website in the sense of um, documentation and, you know, in the, in, in the research that was conducted uh, last year and this year. So it's there for, for people to download as well just to see where our mindset is and where we and where we're going to and um and and hopefully that we will start to make a difference across the subsectors and we will start to make a difference in working far more closely with employers to be able to respond and you know prevent the tragedies of the last 18 months in you know retain and bring people in far more inclusive inclusively into um, opportunities within the within this particular sector. Thank you very, very much, Deborah. With that, it's a wrap. I would like to thank you for your time and for joining us today. And to our listeners, stay tuned as we bring you more conversations aimed at advancing the retail industry. That's all from me. Thanks. Thank you, Deborah. Thanks a lot. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. Cheers, Bye. Okay, thank you. Bye. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.